I've just got this belief that if I can, if I keep going at the rate that I'm going every single day and I keep working at the capacity that I'm working every single day, like it has to work. Like if not you, who? Which is a really interesting quote that someone told me. It's like, if not you, who? Okay, I'm just prefacing this. I don't really care to win any awards. Like I just want to be the best in my industry. And this is just like a metaphor, but it's if it's if it's not you standing up there getting an award or for something you've done or having someone come up to you and say, hey, you really inspire them. If it's not you up there, who else is it going to be? And there's no reason why it couldn't be you. It has to work on the mission. It has has to work alongside the mission. To be honest, bro, there's been probably a few moments where I've definitely been like, this is so hard. Like what I'm doing is so so hard, and no one will ever and nor will I ever expect anyone to understand how hard it is what I'm trying to do and like my mission and where I've come from and the effort of like I'll never ever expect anyone to understand but in saying that though I've always gone this is really hard and I don't want to be doing this right now but I can't think dude to be honest of a thought where I've had of like doing something else and I think that's just because like if I'm gonna be honest it does feel like it's all I've got. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Matthew Thomas, welcome to The Hope Initiative. Thank you, mate. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> lovely to be here. We've just been setting up for the better part of half an hour, 45 minutes. I appreciate you a lot not only as a friend, but as someone who, you know, in the world of media is a brilliant creative. And since I met you in 2021, was it 2021? Yeah, 2021. I was thinking about it earlier today. I was like, it was actually 2020. We started working together in 2021. Yeah, we did. But met you, yeah, late 2020 and right. just knew that you would be, yeah, a source of inspiration. Not that you have to be. But knew that you'd be someone, yeah, important in my life. So, oh, pleasure you. to have you for a chat today, an official chat. Wow, very kind words, bro. <laughs> flattered, very flattered. What was your memory of, of 2020? Do you remember when we met that day? Um, um, possibly. Don't know if you want to name drop the exact uh, location. No. Is that a former employer that we both worked at? Yeah. Was it the botanical? No, where was it? No, it was a Y Fox. It was, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to remember exactly when. Did you come in to the. Yeah, came in and was organizing an interview with Marty. That's right. And with a podcast I was producing at the time. That's right. That's right. I remember now. And you you aptly said, like, oh, he's going to get a job here. Like, you you picked it. And in a way, I was, you know, trying to, to work something out. And both of us have gone separate ways from that company since. But, uh, yeah. Doing met, good things. I met you, so can't complain about that. Yeah, and some really cool people oh, in that. It was an amazing crew. Time. It was an amazing team. Um, plenty of really awesome, hungry individuals that both had, like that all had skills in their own in their own way. So, yeah, it was a cool, cool experience. Yeah. So I'd like to start just from the beginning. For you, when did you first pick up a camera? Or have interest in taking photos. So for anyone who doesn't know you as well, if you want to give a little bit of yeah. a background to that, but brilliant filmmaker, director of photography, all of these brilliant things. But yeah, where was that first yeah. interest for you? Yeah, cool. Um, the initial interest from memory 
I got my parents bought a camera for me pretty young. I think I would have been like 13, 14 years old. It's a little Sony, uh, sorry, Samsung mm-hmm. point and shoot. Those little electric lenses that pops out. Um, and I guess, yeah, I just started taking a few photos in the garden and things like that. And I found it, it was fun like to have a camera. I mean, we didn't have iPhones. Mm. Hey, so that was cool that I had my own camera. It wasn't anything special, but bless mum and dad. It was a great gift. It, I loved it. So I just went in the backyard and was taking photos, photos of bees and flowers and thinking, wow. And then I just started looking at other photos that people were taking and thinking, like, how are they doing that? You know, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I was like, why can't I just go out there and take a, take that photo? There's this particular photo, this is photo in particular that I was like, kind of obsessed with. It was this photo of a dragonfly on like a Nat Geo magazine. And I just didn't really ever know how they did it. It was amazing. And I just thought I'd be able to go out there and get it. Anyway, kind of things progressed and... You know, I'm, I was always heavily into my sport and I um, remember seeing a photographer down at the athletics track with a big white lens and he was taking photos. He's One of his kids ran at the athletics club and I just used to think, wow, that's, that's a camera. That's a proper camera. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd like chat to him a little bit here and there. I showed, obviously showed some interest and I think there were a few occasions where he'd even let me like hold the camera and like try shoot people running and try to get in focus. I could never get anyone in focus. Um, anyway, and, and things kind of evolved and I got some work experience, uh, with him. He worked at the age as a photojournalist. So I would have been about 15 years old at this point. I think at the same time, I mean, what year would we have been in when we were 15? Year 10? Yeah, school. Yeah. Yeah. About year 9, 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was in about year 10 and simultaneously as I was starting to take more photos, I got, um. I got thrown a compliment from my media teacher and it was kind of one of the first compliments I've ever had, I ever had in school apart from sport and movement. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's the first compliment I've really received in a classroom. That felt cool. Do you remember what it was? Like what did they say? Uh, I just remember kind of leaning over really quickly and just being like, Matt, there's some, they're really good. There's a really good photos in there. And I was like, oh, that's, that was nice. It was a nice yeah, feeling. That I think. Nice. So and then from there, it was on. Like, I think I just was like, okay, um, this could be for me. And just it's been an absolute evolution from there. But that that's probably the first initial point. I got some work experience, as I said, at the age. I was working as like a photojournalist assistant there. Did work experience. And I ended up getting a few jobs where they'd be like, oh, we're going to go take photos of this footy player. Instead of you coming and holding a reflector for us, how about you go take a photo of that Telstra box because we've just had a – we've got a story coming about Telstra. So I'd just go around town and and take a few photos. And one thing that happened in particular is I uh, – they had this section in the age called uh, like Streets of Melbourne or something – something Melbourne. I can't remember now. But I took this photo of this man sitting in Hosier Lane like um, – like having a coffee, reading his newspaper, sitting on a crate with all the graffiti, very Melbourne. Um, This was when I was like 15, 16. Um, And this guy that had taken me into this work experience submitted it for that section and it it got in. So I had like, I'm like 15, 16 years old with a full page photo. Like the photo took up the whole page of the paper in colour, like the whole thing. 
Um, and I guess there were just like all these little things that kept on happening where I was like, yeah, this is, this is my thing. This is the way my brain works. It makes sense to me. And yeah, just, yeah. You kept getting like little wins by the sounds of it. And it was like, oh, that's sick. Let's keep doing more of this. Yeah. It felt very natural. Um, again, I'm really grateful and lucky that I found something so young. School certainly wasn't for me. So it was a bit of a saving grace. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. It just, just felt right. And it also felt like for the first time in school, it was something my brain clicked at. Right. Um, when you say you, school wasn't for you, because I know we've had many chats as mates over the past few years, but dyslexic. Yeah. Right. So, but like, in what way wasn't it for you? And was that something that was told to you? Or did you just find it difficult from a super young age? Because I feel like as kids, we can be told certain things. For sure. Even in the positive, take that compliment, for example. Mm. I'd I'd be curious to know, like, if you didn't get that compliment, would you have have pursued it? You probably would have. Yeah. But it's it's just... You know, maybe being devil's advocate in some ways. For sure. I think uh, it's both. I, yeah, I definitely think I, what you just said is interesting. Would I have gone down that path without it? It, I don't, it was definitely a told thing. I definitely had a few experiences in school quite young, like year two, where I experienced some pretty hectic bullying from a teacher. Yeah, right. Which has definitely been like a, process of recovering from that trauma over a long period of time and as as silly as that might sound to a lot of people you know year two you're a blank canvas totally and any amount of kind of trauma or upset that you feel in those times psychologically and genetically are going to really impact you for the rest of your life so i had this one particular teacher in year two and she just every single class there'd be something pull me out the front of the class to read she knew i couldn't you know you know you've got a kid stumbling through his words, the whole room laughing, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty horrible and it even went on to little things. Like I put my hand up, you know, to ask a question because I need things repeated to me to to really get it. And she just in front of the whole class being like, how haven't you got like, you know, she was, she was shocking. It's like ridiculing you for no Yeah, she lost her job I think in the end, um, which is good. But I mean, you can't have someone like that. No, that is good. Yeah, I'm laughing because it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But um. So, yeah, there was definitely some of that, but I definitely found it hard. Like I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was six. It was very evident the way that I thought and acted around anything to do with written word, um, anything to do with like retaining information. Mm. It was pretty clear. Like my parents could obviously tell um, at quite a young age. So, yeah, diagnosed at six. It's usually pretty rare to diagnose someone as dyslexic that young, but I think I just had all the – ticked all the boxes. So it was weird to go through that at such a young age. Um, Sure. So then straight away, you know, year two, you know that your brain doesn't think that way. You're seeing that your brain isn't working the way you want it to when you're doing these things in school. So it's just like, okay, this is going to be a battle. Yeah. Yeah. but, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. That's kind of the groundwork of what dyslexia was for me. I mean, yeah, yeah I just – I, you know, if anyone listening that doesn't really understand what dyslexia is, it can affect people in many different ways. For me, it was like, like – reading was like, like – we'd go through the process of like learning how to sound out words and you'd do all that. just oh, so hard to click. It was like every time you tried to learn something, it was like you were just – instead of someone being like, try 
try get it was just like you're just banging your head against a brick wall mm. it's like those neuro pathways they just don't fire the same way it's just not how they work sure so physically in the brain for people to understand like that that's kind of how it works like if you've got like okay we're going to teach this kid how to spell it's like you know that bridge that you know there's no bridge like you know mm. um i think the other aspect of it as well in school and something i've probably only realized in the last maybe two years is that i definitely have ADHD, like adhd or all, okay. the, all the a's b's c's d's and g's <laughs> Because I definitely found my attention was incredibly like scattered, you know, like looking back now and seeing the way that I operate now and catching myself, I'm like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. like a combination of a lot of things. Um, I am lucky that I had a few really good people along the way. But yeah, for sure, school was tough. You know, obviously this, you know, not just being bullied by um, the teachers, but you know, the students are going to take it for a run, aren't they? You know, sure. Oh, you dumbass, you can't even read was like, you know, a daily if not weekly occurrence. Yep. You know, so I felt pretty dumb and silly, stupid in school. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of evolved into this weird thing where it's a bit of a win and lose because on the one hand of it, it bred an incredible – once I found what I wanted, it bred an incredible amount of drive and determination to – it was probably when I was young was a bit unhealthy. It was like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. Sure. Where now I couldn't give a fuck, to yeah. be honest. Like, yeah. it's just to prove me. It's to prove to me. So there'll always be this underlying fire in my belly that I believe is pretty hard for people to develop without going through some type of mm. something. Um, the other end of it is that you can get so hyper-focused on the goals and the dreams that that anxiety of it not working or the outcome not working you're, you, or you're not going to get to where you want can be really crippling because yep. you're just constantly like in this frame this frame set of is it going to work? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be able to do it? Yeah, so it's like this. I'm learning to dance. I've yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a dance that you've got to I've, find the moves to. I've definitely learned the dance now. Um, I think that's also just come with getting a lot more confidence and like it's been a long time since that age now. So yeah. I dance with it well now. Um, nice, man. But I think any high achiever can um, can resonate with the de- that dance, mm. you know, a little bit. Yeah. Thank you for showing that, man. That's right. I, I know a few places I feel like I could go with what you've shared there. My initial curiosity is cameras aren't the most easily understood piece of technology i think it's fair to say and i think you know your way around one very well so the idea that you had trouble learning at that young age was then dealt the card of a teacher who's literally there to facilitate learning is giving you a hard time to then find maybe a couple of mentors in that guy who worked at the age and some other good people who helped maybe bridge that gap like you said but then to still be able to learn shutter speed, you know, ISO, all of these things, which I still don't even fully understand. And people listening might be like, what are they? Not that we need to get into the weeds of like what they are, but like, how did you go about learning that? Because bro, it still daunts me now. And Mm. I've been, I I just need to commit to it. But like, I want to get better at that as a skill. Yeah. How did you go about that as a, as a teenager? That's a good question, dude, because it's really funny you say that. When I first started learning the camera, understanding, you know, switching from auto to manual and, you know, you've got to worry about your ISO, shutter speed, um, your F-stop, so on and so forth and all the different rules and parameters around all that. 
I had a lot of fear. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do any of this. I'm not going to retain info. I had all these narratives in my head. Again, a lot of them being narratives. Yep. The things um, we tell ourselves, yeah. One thing I'd always been good at though is like learning like hands-on, like anything to do with hands-on. Like if we had to do anything in school when it came to woodwork or I don't know, anything hands-on or I don't know, it always clicked. Like I could always see how someone would do something and I'd figure it out or I'd, or I'd just pick something up. It's like whenever you do a flat pack. Like yeah. I'm the type of guy that can like just smash a flat pack. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. Yeah, nice. So I think it was a similar thing with the camera. I think I just I just started playing with it. I was like, right, what's that dial do? What's this dial do? All right, that does that. This does this. And just practice. And I was just obsessed. I was just obsessed with this camera. Like I was just obsessed with them. I was like, yeah, it just, it just kind of clicked. So I just, you know, and just I think it was just time, time on ground. I yeah. think, you know, I would have been messing around with a camera. I would have touched a camera almost every second day since the age of 15. So, like, something's going to have to happen. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? So, it's like just, I think for me when I was young, I was like, okay, why? So, that does that. That's kind of like the fake light that we want to get, you know. And the other thing is to remember, and if there's any other creatives here, is I wouldn't say I'm the most technical shooter. Okay. You kind of got shooters that are on, like, to sway on two ends. You've got, like, the more creative, visionary type of, I would say, filmmakers. And then you've got, like, the other breed of filmmakers that are like super technical like i'm definitely i'd say sway more to the other side i'm trying to i'm i see the funny thing is i'm trying to become more technical better technically (laughs) but yeah all the basics were probably just learned just by practice just messing around with it seeing what worked oh that didn't work that photo came out black why (laughs) you know i think the other thing youtube university you know grew up we've grown up in a time where there's been so much access to information so yeah. Anything I couldn't figure out, I just YouTube. Well, that was going to be, yeah, sort of my next question led into, well, so YouTube, did you do any form of like formal training, uni? Yeah, so I I did. I got to the end of year 11 and essentially said to my parents, hey, like I'm not going back to year 12. I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. I was doing VCAL, uh, which is like a TAFE for anyone who's watching a TAFE version of your school so you get certificates and like business and different things like that. I did that in year 11. But the school did allow me to do VCE media, which is really good. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. So they still let me do that, which was a really good support. Um, so, yeah, so I essentially finished year 11 and was like, mum, dad, I'm not going back, can't do it. And they were like, that's all right. I'm, you know, also shout out to mum and dad. Got the best parents in the world. And they were essentially were like, that's okay, but you've got to have a plan, mum said. She was like, you just have to have a plan. I was like, okay, I've got a plan. That plan at that time was either to do interior design, funnily enough, or keep going this camera route. Oh. Always been obsessed with interiors. Even when I was a kid, I would swap my room around like, you know, I don't know, like a good four or maybe, maybe four times a year. I'd just shuffle all the furniture. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try my bed in that corner. I'm going to put that here. I don't know. That's another part of me that not many people know, but I love interiors, always have. Um, So I kind of went to an open day for an interior design thing. I was like, "Eh, whatever. And then a year later, went to an open day at RMIT and that for photography, studying photography, and that really clicked. And I went and did an interview at RMIT and they essentially said, look, we don't really take anyone who hasn't got a – it was just for a diploma, but they were still like, look, we don't really take anyone unless you've got like a GPA or whatever they call it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, like can you just, just look at my folio? 
like I had a big A3 photo printed at all my work that I'd done at the age. I took photos at this um, like neo-Nazi crazy rally where there was like pepper spray and fire and I got some really cool photos there at the time and nice. had some landscapes that I'd shot from, you know, going on family trips and whatnot. And I just showed them this folio and the coordinator, I remember it so clearly, he, I was sitting with this lady, she was looking at my folio and Eddie, who's the coordinator of um, the course who I like to say we're distant friends now and he kind of walks around, he looks over and he goes, yeah, we'll have a place for you and just walked off. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, fantastic. And then that was the start of that, dude. And, and then, yeah, that was the first time ever I felt like I was in an education setting learning something that I loved and I was hooked, like yeah. hooked. So I went and did three, a diploma over three years. I did the last two years part-time just so I could continue to – like assist in the industry and keep working in the industry as much as possible. I was also like I get access to all of this equipment and studio access whenever I want and a printing room with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of printing equipment. If I just go part-time, I get it for a whole other year. I was like, why the rush? So it made sense to me to go part-time. Also, I couldn't keep up with the workload. Some of the theory took me longer. So I was like, this is going to be a win-win. So, yeah, that was my formal education was studying photography which was epic. It was very hands-on. Um, you know, we learned how, we learned the basics of lighting. We, we, we learned everything. It was so good. To, it was so good for me. There was a lot of people that would complain about things, and I get that. Like every education system, I think, you know, there's things to complain about. But it was definitely a course for me that was like whatever you put in is whatever you're going to get out. So, like, I would hammer my teachers, be like, I want to work, I want to assist. Who have you got? I'd just go straight. I was just... Yeah, I didn't make many friends at uni, to be fair. I made a couple, of good, but I wouldn't say, like, I was super sociable. You know, I definitely, like, had a stage there, like, full-on work addiction while I was while I was studying there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was, I, was, I was obsessed. Dude, I was literally about to say that. You've already used the word a couple of times, obsessed. Mm. It sounds like you were just – you'd found your thing and you were on it and, like, a great opportunity to, like you said, extend it by a year just – do it over two years. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And the fact that you weren't sure if you're going to get accepted and then that guy pops over and goes, yep, it just goes to show that like there will be gatekeepers, people that will put stops there for you trying to do anything in life. But if you have, in your case, a portfolio Mm -hmm. of work and you've done at least some reps of whatever thing you're trying to do, then you should be able to get past that gatekeeper. Yeah, 100%. I think there's a few things that go into it. It's like having time on ground, having the work to show. I think there is something also to be said about just having some belief in yourself a little bit. Having a crack. Yeah. Having a crack. Like the amount of things that are, like ha- that happened in my life and still just from just from belief. You know, like I had to get into that uni. I was like, what else am I going to do? I'm not going back to school. So I just had this oh, in my, my head. I was like, I'm going to get it. Like, I don't know, just... You just got to have that belief. Good things happen to you when you believe. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like people might be like, oh, it's a bit woo-woo. It's like, nah. Like I've li- I have thought things and then moments after it's manifested in real time. Mm. There's something to be said for like really believing and feeling and thinking about what you want. Yeah. It works for me. So. I agree, bro. It's worked for me many times. Yeah. It doesn't work 100% of the time, I'll be honest. And sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes it comes in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've sort of stopped saying be careful what you wish for and instead be conscious of what you create. 
like because even the negative can happen where you start thinking negatively and get into this spiral and bad things start start happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, got to be conscious of that. Go, yeah, you got to be careful. You are – when we met, you'd come back from – from America, I think you were in LA trying to give it a crack and COVID pulled you home. What were the like the three years before heading over to the US like for you? If you could paint a picture, I'm obsessed with this idea right now of a thousand days can change your life. A thousand days is roughly three years. It's about 35 months. So three almost full year periods. What was yeah, that three year period like before you flew over to the US? Yeah, cool. I like that thousand days. Oh, I like that a lot. I'm going to use that for sure from 2024. I like that. Um, okay, so the three years prior to going to the States would have consisted of some of that uni, so okay. finishing off uni. Um, as I said, I mean, when I say that I was addicted, I was proper addicted. So, like, I ended up in hospital three or four times for severe burnout while studying at uni. Like, yeah. I mean, proper burnout. Like, So, go into the weeds on that. Like, what would a week, uh, what would a typical week look like? Well, it, the issue was is that I grew up in country Victoria. So, if I missed the V-line train home at 12 midnight, which was an often occurrence, then, yeah. well, what am I going to do? You know? So, sometimes I catch a lift home with mum because she worked in the city, but... It was also, it was completely my own fault. It wasn't V-Line's fault. Um, <laughs> V-Line had the timetable yeah, published. <laughs> I was just, I was just so, look, again, this is the scarcity thing. It was so, I had this absolute burn in my belly because of the fear from school of never being able to achieve anything and all of that. That fueled almost this anxious, manic way of working of like, oh, I'm just going to fucking work like a psycho. And mm. I definitely developed a bit of like a work addiction which I know sounds really crazy for like someone in their like late teenage years or early 20s, but like I fully did. Like say um, say people were going, I don't know, I don't know. I'll just go into my experience. But my thing was I would, not so much in my first year, but definitely in my second and third, I was like, hey, this is a diploma. And the diploma you've got to get your full. It's, it's essentially like whatever you do in those two years will set you up for the industry because at the end we have industry nights, we show our folios, we we work on a body of work that we present to the industry. So I was just like, that's this is my thing. Like what, what else? There's nothing else to focus on. So what it looked like was I would sh- have my classes throughout the day. I would book a studio bay for the evening. I would shoot in that studio bay till probably midnight, sometimes early as the morning. Sometimes I would go to one of my lecturers and they'd be like, give me a photo to replicate, like what's something hard? And they'd be, give me like a photo of a wine bottle or something. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I ever really nailed it. Like I wouldn't say, I'd say there's still students that were shooting better than me, but I just had this thing where I just do that and then I would take that photo and take the SD card out of the camera and walk to one of the computer labs, put in the computer and then I'd edit it. And I would do that and I would, I would just keep repeating those processes and, you know, some, and then what it would look like is me staying at uni all night. Yeah. And there'd be some stints where I did like, there was one section, the one section when I ended up in hospital for burnout, which obviously makes sense, is I stayed there for three days straight and then leave the uni for three days straight. I was like hallucinating, like walking around, yeah, walking around up and down the corridors barefoot at times because I'm just so like severe sleep deprivation. So you wouldn't sleep in there three days? Oh, I might nap in the chair, like in front of a computer screen for like yeah. a little bit. 
I don't mm. think that – I don't know if that would go down these days, but, like, the security <laughs> guards were just like, what's going on, Matt? How you doing? They're like, yeah, man, good. First name basis with First the security guards. First name basis security guards. You know, one time my teacher would leave and then she'd be there in the morning and I'd still be there. Yeah. I think the other part of all that was is I also couldn't get the work done as fast as other students. Exactly. So I don't necessarily think it was just because I, like, was fully fixated. I think it also took me a bit longer to do things. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely a recurring theme in uni was, was yeah, big nights, no sleep, crazy artist kind of stuff, mm. which I definitely learnt isn't a sustainable way to operate. I still struggle with it. Like sometimes I'll do these stints where I'm like I do some pretty big. It was only a couple of weeks ago where I did a shoot stint where I was awake for 25 hours straight and I shot for 20 hours well, over two jobs. And that's the first time I've done that in a while. But like looking back at that, I was like, I don't know how I used to function at all, like in uni doing that. Yeah. Like no wonder I was like rocking up at hospital and they were like, mate, you're like, your body's like closing down on you. Like mm. what, are you, what are you doing? The so, obsession. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a little sick. But this is the thing, like I watched my dad work very hard, probably not that manic. The manicness of it and the unhealthy nature of it come, came definitely from the fear of not being able to not being able to achieve. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, or, or like, yeah. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, so I guess, sorry, I'm it's going good, a man. bit of a tangent. It's good. But did that straight out of uni. After all the hard work, I got offered a good job at this place called Blue Tree Studios. Shout out Blue Tree Studios. It's like a corporate, commercial, sometimes creative um, little production studio down in uh, Port Melbourne. And I got a job there as a full-time editor. So editing photos, retouching photos, editing videos, um, full honesty, shocking gig. Like, you know, all super grateful for that first opportunity, but God, it's hard. Like, especially for me, ADHD tendencies, you know, I don't really like to sit at a computer for more than three hours at a time. Um, yeah, it was it was hard, but I kind of leveraged that and, while I was working there, the deal was I could also use their equipment to help with a short film I was working on. So I put half of the money I earned from that job into a short film called Meantime and I used the other half to save for the trip. So the other thing that I did simultaneously while working there was, yeah, this short film, which we took a bit off more We Can Chew and, and we had way too many talent and the concept was pretty hard but we, we pulled something pretty good off and we took it on the film festival circuit and picked up a few small awards um, and it was like a start that to me felt like my film school, because obviously at the end of my photography, I should clarify, I was studying photography, but in my last year, I started to see this little, I just saw this, like, I think there was a little part of me as well, like a bit of bit of business head on me in that last year of my uni, even my, my maybe my second last, you know, I, I wouldn't say I come from like poor, poor. But we definitely had a few like – there was a few like always like a bit of financial anxiety when I was a kid. But yeah. we, we definitely had it good. Like we definitely didn't have it bad. You know, middle class, you know, blue, white collar. So we were good. But um, I think that also bred like a bit of a business thing in me. So I kind of started to see the landscape of photography. And I was looking at video, video and socials really coming up at that time, like early stages. I was like, oh, I feel like there's going to be a lot of work for people that know how to hit a record button. And so that's when I kind of got a bit. And then I started playing around with that and 
I started going to the movies a bit more. I started to like look at those visuals on the screen. I was like, oh my God, how do they do that? I was like, that looks so hard. So this is before mean time. This is before this shooting. This is before right? mean time. Yeah. That final year of uni. Final year of uni. Yeah. To clarify. And, um, Very cool. and that's when I decided for my final folio piece to do some motion. Anyway, it evolved. We did the short film, did all of that. And then I took off to the States with my best mate, um, Andrew, and we, very naive, but we were just like, we're just getting, we're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna make it, we're gonna go to LA and we're gonna make it, make it in Hollywood, we're gonna make it in Hollywood, um, which was yeah, which was its own little experience, but um, yeah, that was kind of what happened up to the lead up to that, yeah, love it, man. The decision to go, mm-hmm. how long was that in the making? Like, was it something a decision at uni? Because yeah, if, if it's back to that 1,000-day idea, when did you officially leave? Do you remember the date that you went oh, overseas? Was it like yeah. 2019? Yeah, it would have been – I would have been 20, so – yeah, it would have been 2019, I think. Yep. And it would have been in December sometime. Okay. It was like a month before Christmas or maybe it was just in November, I think. So you, weren't, you wouldn't have been there for long then? No, I was only at the job for um, – like In the U.S.? Oh no, I wasn't in the US for long. No, yeah. no, no, we had to come back, obviously because of COVID. But yeah, um, that was something that my mate had been speaking a lot about in my last year, and I was like, oh, it sounds really good. And then once I got the job, I think I was like, okay, yeah, I'll save, I'll save for that. I mean, I didn't take much. I went over there with like eighteen thousand dollars Australian, yeah. which, to be honest, like wasn't enough. Yeah, far out. But we had a go. We had a solid crack. Love that. And I believe it's fair to say that like that dream is still there. You very much want to go back, mm. make movies, films yep. and do all of that. Yeah. So tell me more about that because you've come back. It's been what, three, three and a half years now, been back, yep. back in Melbourne. Yeah, certainly back. So came back, was really lucky. Obviously, well, we came back because COVID hit, but we got we had some good times over there, some good experience, got a little taste, also got like a nice slap in the face of what 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 it really is like. Like it's a monster of an a monster of a monster of an industry over there. Mm-hmm. Very hard to break into. So, yeah, we came back and I guess um yeah, now I guess where I'm at, that's why I like the thousand days because I think my next thousand days are going to be pretty interesting. Um, I guess where I'm at now is I've come back. I've worked in an agency straight off the back of um, coming back from the States, which was really awesome to get that job. That's where we met at White Fox, which was um, a, you know, a really interesting experience to get that agency kind of get that agency um, kind of time. Um, you know, I soon realized that I wasn't prepared to do 80 hour weeks for anyone else but myself. So from there I've been freelancing essentially for almost three years now, nice. uh, which is awesome. That's definitely the way I'll continue to work. I don't think I'll be going back if I can help it. Um, and yeah, now we're getting ready for our next thousand days, which to me will look like a preparation now to get back overseas. Um, I've still got a lot of stuff to get done here. I've got a lot of goals that I want to tick off. I've got a lot of things I want to clean up. And I'm also just not in a rush, you know. I'm very lucky that where I want to go, which is at this point it's London. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, I haven't actually been there yet. But I'm not really too phased in where I am if it's on mission. 
Um, I will be visiting there later this year, though, to get a bit of an insight into is this actually somewhere I'd enjoy. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so the, the next kind of stint for me looks like, um, you know, preparation in tidying up business here and uh, getting into the financial position I want to really undertake it properly and to kind of like if, if I like it there, which I'm sure I will, you know, it, it's 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 a big play. Like it's a decade play. Yeah. Like I'm not come. I'm not. I'm not going to do it lightly. I love it's that as big, well, though. Yeah, it's a big move. Like to establish all the you know business that I've got here. And like I won't be you know I won't be saying goodbye to business. I'll be very clear with clients, being like, hey, I'm going to be back in Melbourne at these points of the year. And if anyone does want to work with me back here, like I'm here too. Like I'm not going to say I'm based in London. I'll be based in Australia in London. I definitely want to be able to come and go. So I definitely want to make sure I'm educating people and clients. Like if you have got work here, like I'll fly back for it. it. Gives me an opportunity to see my family. Like you know, if it can work, it can work. Yeah. Um. But for the type of work that I really do want to get, and while I can take the risk, I think yeah, London's the move. And then from there, get back to the US. But I think now with the experience I had being in the US, it's like okay, stepping stones. Yeah. You know, London's its own beast. You know, there's even smaller. You know things. I might, you know, I might go to Berlin first and just get the wheels turning there. Yeah, bit smaller, and then go to London. I think I'll just jump straight into the deep end with London, but it'll be a nice step before the US. The US is hard. It's just different. It's just a whole different animal. Net. I find networking quite hard there. Yeah. Um. I want to. I want to. Yeah. Question you on. Yeah. What that was. I don't. I did definitely didn't want to skip over the time that you spent in America. But before we get to that, mm. and then even come back to the plan for that, you mentioned something really interesting, which is like the planning for the decade. Like it's a decade play. So yeah. you mentioned loving that idea of a thousand days. Well, I love the idea of like plan for decades like yes a thousand days can change your life or like planning in decades working in days almost Mm. could be like the duality of the saying it's like okay you want to put in the time maybe not to the point of the burnout that you were going to in uni but if you can have the patience to go okay the work that i'm doing here day in day out and thinking with cool my life can change in a thousand days but i'm willing to not see the reward and the payoff for a decade Bro, no one's running that race. Like, if you think about it. Yeah. And it's not that it's competitive in the sense of like plenty of people can win. We can all win. But I don't think many people are putting in the work and doing the the things that you're doing. Like the this thing you just put out in collab with Run South Yarra a few days ago. Epic. But like doing that over a period of a decade to then get to a point where you – want to make films like what was your i've gone blank on his name right now i'm sorry but that's right greg greg fraser would definitely probably be someone i've spoken to you about before greg fraser so that is brilliant i think the the planning in decades so yeah man love that yeah i mean yeah i mean the thousand day one's really good um the decade thing when i say that i guess yeah i mean i'm just fully prepared to do this for like, I don't really care until I die. Like, I'll do this until I'm 70. I Hopefully, I'll still be able to shoot when I'm 80. Yeah. If I can still shoot and wrangle something in my 90s, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be happy. Shooting the great grandkids, bro. <laughs> grandkids. 100%. So, I think for me, yeah, it, it is a decade play or multiple decade plays. Like, I don't have any of this written down. I have just started a proper business plan, which is kind of like a three, 
which is like a 12 month, a three year and a 12, hang on, a three month, no, a three, sorry, a three year, a one year, a three year and a decade. Yep, got a 10 year. The, yeah. Got there. <laughs> um, business plan. I've only just started like putting it all into paper and I'm branding it and I'm making it like very official. It'll be confidential. It'll just be for me, but um, it, you know, goes into everything like who are the people I work with? What clothes do they wear? Nice. What are they eating? Where do they go on holidays? What is the age demographic? Is it sway women or men? Like I'm going into it pretty hard. I've had a mentor kind of guide me on this. But anyway, I digress. No, why is that important? I'm curious. Don't uh, digress. I think it's important for me and from what my mentor has said because it just instantly puts you in a league that your competitors aren't thinking at. Like – I know there's not many of my competitors that are thinking, well, how old, what gender, how old, what clothes do my potential clients wear? Where do they shop? Where do they go on holidays? Like it's important stuff to know. It means you know who to target. And it's something I haven't really done that well. Can't say I've been doing it that well. I've just been kind of going for it. But I think it's important because it gives you something to come back to as well because in anything that you're trying to do or any high achiever, there's going to be moments where either something goes wrong or, you know, something happens personally, something happens with business. Maybe you're just not getting the amount of work you want. Maybe your cash flow is not very good. And it's nice to have something to come back to. You know, if you've just got all these thoughts and dreams stacked up in your head, it's like, Mm. fuck, get that stuff on paper so you can come back to it. It's like a grounding point. You can be like, I wrote this down then. And I can believe in that because I wrote it down. It came from my brain. So it's like your vision. You're like yeah. painting your vision. And like you said, it's highly confidential, but it's probably not going to be for public eyes. It's for no, you. it's for you. And it's just for you or your friends. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important. But again, getting back to this decade thing, like, yeah, I definitely have like a vague idea of how I would like things to unfold and how I'll keep on working. Like, obviously, there's the short term things like, all right, keep pumping away in Melbourne. I've got a big, you know, feature-length project next year. That'll be my first feature-length thing. So get into that. Get that ticked off. Just keep doing what I'm doing every single day. I don't know, man. I've just got this belief that if I can, keep, if I keep going at the rate that I'm going every single day and I keep working at the capacity that I'm working every single day without getting too cooked, which I'm working on, like it has to work. Like if not you, who? which is a really interesting quote that someone told me. It's like, if not you, who? If it's not you standing up on that stage, okay, I'm just prefacing this. I don't really care to win any awards. Like, I just want to be the best in my industry. I don't care if it comes with awards or not. But if it's not you up there accepting, this is like a metaphor, but it's if it's if it's not you standing up there getting an award or for something you've done or, um, or having someone come up to you and say how you really inspire them, like, if it's not you up there, who else is it going to be? And it's a really interesting quote. It's got to be someone, right? It's got to be someone and there's no reason why it couldn't be you. So mm-hmm. I kind of in this mindset a little bit where it's like, yeah, I've got a few, I've got a few plans here, London, bridge from London to US, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, you know, there's all the other exciting things in life. I don't want to think to people I'm just all work-centric. Like I definitely am. <laughs> but... <laughs> but you know, I definitely want family. I want all that. I want all that beautiful experience too. Um, but I definitely want that. It has to work on the mission. It has has to work alongside the mission. The mission, the and that mission. is the mission. That is the mission. The, well, yeah, the mission is yeah its own thing. Well, can you unpack that more? For sure. I'd love to know 
I don't know, yeah, how much you maybe want to share yeah, in this op- open platform because I realise like you've got that thing which isn't for everyone. But yeah. I, th- I really think, you know, I've been doing this for almost five years now and running at a pace now which is a bit more frequent than some of the earlier years. But we were talking when we were setting up, it's all an evolution. My very first podcast episode was with my mum in our living room in Mount Evelyn, far eastern suburbs here in Victoria. And like it's it's changed so much. Today we're filming, albeit I've had your help setting up the cameras, but like I'm slowly, you know, moving that needle to to be a better podcaster and a better better storyteller. And I've got my vision for that. This isn't about me. I want to know for you what that looks like in whatever, you know, period of time you want to share if it's a decade if it is the 70 80 year old matt yeah what that looks like oh, that's a, oh, that, that, that hit me in an interesting spot um so the essentially the mission i guess the mission at the moment it changes right it always changes but there's a few of them i'd say the core mission to me and my work when i say the mission is to use visual storytelling to provoke emotion in people, to make people think, to inspire and to, to feel. There's something for me about watching something or sitting in a cinema or sitting at home watching something and watching something that makes you feel. It might not, I'm not saying always inspirational. It doesn't have to always be inspirational. It might make you feel quite sad. You could watch a doco on, you know, on, I don't know, you know, on anything, on, on a war-torn country or something like that. And it could just move you or give you a perspective of how lucky you are. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, for me, the mission at a core from my craft is just is to be able to move people through a, 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 visual, a visual place. Um, a lot of people often say, oh, you know, like using, you know, TV series or movies or whatever isn't a productive way. You know, it's, it's escapism. Well, like... I don't give a fuck. Like, I think it's a really good escape. I think if your escape is sitting there and watching anything, if it's drama, comedy, something serious, like whatever, it's, 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 I don't, I don't particularly think it's the worst type of escape. And for me, it's always been a safe place of, not that I get time to do it enough, which is crazy, especially at the moment, but just sitting down and watching something and having your imagination taken in, like, say you're watching, I don't know let's say Star Wars, for example, and your brain just gets completely teleported to this whole other world. It's like that's such a fantastic art form. And it's peaceful for people to have Mm. just two hours out of their day where they can let their mind just run free, watch characters. Like, I don't know, it's such an incredible art form. So the mission, I guess, wholly is, yeah, is, is to make people feel, to make people think. At the moment it's a little bit more skewed to uh highlighting the gift of human story for sure like this documentary landscape that i'm starting to touch on i'm noticing i'm really liking so it's skewed a little bit more towards that i mean i've got other missions obviously personal ones like for me and my family and so on which is you know you know all types of different bits and pieces um another interesting to come back to which isn't you know is part of the mission as well as having full belief and understanding that I'm enough, Matthew Thomas, without anything, without my camera, without the clothes I wear, without who I'm dating, 
without any money, without nothing. Like I am enough. If I'm sitting down with someone having a conversation or like I'm just enough, I'm a good friend, I'm a good person, I try the best for my community. Like I think that's been something also recent which has been a really big shift for me. It's like I definitely had all my self-worth packed into the mission. Mm. But now the mission is what I just mentioned and also truly wholeheartedly believing that I'm enough, just me. Without the camera, without anything, without the accolades, I'm enough and that's a very powerful place to get to. Mm. So that's definitely part of the mission and something that's still ongoing is to like fully believe that just my, just me being me and, and sitting down with a random on the street, I'm enough for someone. I don't need to have all this other stuff. I think that's a really important thing for everyone to try find. It's really hard. Yeah, man. It's really hard to sit there and go, yeah, I really love who I am without any of the other stuff. And I'm not saying I've got it down pat. I've definitely made some big leaps over the last few months, six months or so. But um, lots of different missions there. That's brilliant, man. I appreciate you and, sharing. And, and the other thing, sorry, quickly, with the, with the work is the actual biggest underlying drive to wanting to like, let's say, make it to a some degree is less for me and more my community for sure. Like... Yeah, having some success myself is cool, but the oh man, the the day that I can call up a few of my close mates and be like, "Hey, I don't know what your work's looking like for the next six months, but you know, I can pay us all a salary, and we get to go work on this wicked project, and we get to get to hang out and make money and and, and make something special at the same time. Like working working with your bros would be." the best thing in that capacity, not in a full-time capacity or I think offering experiences to my community too, which I try to do in little ways. But, you know, I can't wait to the day where I can just be like, all right, guys, like come over. I'm in London. We've got this thing on. You're all coming. Flights are booked. Come come for the ride. Do you know what I mean? Or totally. things for family, little things, you know, it'd be really nice. And I know that's a, a bit of a monetary kind of play thing, but it doesn't even have to be on that level. It can be a little bit like my other goal, which is like I just want to farm a basic-ass property with little shacks all over it, like tiny homes, and they've all got a little plaque with the name of people that are important to me, friends, family, whatever. It's an open gate. You've always got a key, <laughs> and I'll see you there sometimes or I might be working. Um, I just love the idea of, like, bringing your community along and I don't know. I just think, yeah. It's beautiful, that's man. Just, that's just something that I just But you've got really dreams. Want. You've got things that you're wanting to build. Yeah. And I've no, I, no doubt that with the obsession that you go at life with, mm. you will make them come to fruition, whether they change or not over the next They're allowed to change and flow. Years, of course. You know, they're allowed to change and flow. You know, they're my core missions from personal, personal family, community and work. But there's nothing to say in 12 months' time that this kind of doco stylized branding content route that I'm I shouldn't say hate the word content, film that I'm going down. There's no reason why like that isn't very much what I end up doing. Yeah. You know, but we'll see. It can change and flow. Why do you hate the word content? Oh. Because it's it's funny. I a year and a half ago mm. was the same, but I find myself saying it a lot now. And obviously a lot of people are in this space. Mm. But yeah. I should probably change my relationship with it. I think <laughs> I think I shouldn't hate it as much as I do. I just think at the moment with where the industry is at, which is also really exciting, it's just like this one big melting pot. So you've got like some of the best cinematographers in the world, you know, best directors, writers, producers, podcasters, social media, influencers, they're 
all in this big melting pot of content. And I think I feel like I've got a bit of a negative connotation to it because I still feel like each art form should be its own thing. Mm -hmm. Like I think a good podcaster is a really good podcaster. I think, you know, someone who is an incredible fashion influencer is a really good fashion influencer. I think for me, like, I would like to think that I definitely come into the realm of a filmmaker and a cinematographer more than I come into the world of a content creator. Sure. It's more like a general catch-all. To me, it just feels like I'm like, no, I've worked – like, I've really worked hard, like, at a craft that's really – like, I think is quite hard to master. I'm not saying I've mastered it yet, but I'm on the pursuit of that. So when someone says to me, oh, you know, your content's really good, it's like, no, man, like, it's a film, you know? (laughs) Look, it's all e- it's all just ego. No, I get that. It's all just ego and 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 silly artist crap, to be it, fair, because at the end of the day, it is all just content. Yeah. The cool side of it that I like, <laughs> the cool side of it that I like is that yeah, you've got some of the best filmmakers and stuff now competing on the same platform as Sally that does dances in her, you know, favorite outfits. I'm like, now that's crazy. You've got some of the biggest directors. You know, we're we're making we're pouring in huge budget into what also exists simultaneously with dog and cat videos. <laughs> like it's wild. Um, so, yeah, I don't hate the word that much. No, I, ju- I just think it. Just I just think everyone gets put into this pool. I'm like, well, like I'm not a content creator. Like I wouldn't class myself as that. But it's just ego at the end of the day. Like people can call me what they want. I don't really care. <laughs> I appreciate it. I think, yes, that can happen. I mean, I, I think in some ways as well, ego is a good thing. Ego yeah. helps you if you use it in the right way to create something that is a level up and it helps improve you. Cause if you didn't have ego, you might still be shooting the same, you know, quality of thing that you were 10 years ago. Cause you don't really care cause you have no ego. So, I mean, I've read that book, Ryan holiday, ego is the enemy. Have you heard of that? I have, I haven't read it yet. I mean, it's, it's a great book. Don't get me wrong, but like, there's obviously more to it than just the the line of the yeah. of the front book. I would love to know. You mentioned before, you know, be, maybe being more self aware and overcoming things in the last sort of six months. Yeah. In all your time pursuing these goals, and just in life, the mission as that's been developing, has there ever been a time, the darkest moment, whatever it may be, where you've thought about giving up? film and getting a completely different job going down a completely different path going moving away like doing anything else but what you're doing yeah for sure for sure there has been there's been a few moments where i've had some jobs where i think this has been the biggest thing for me of trying to like teach and fully from a really deep place know that I'm enough without my work because I'd have situations where and look this is something that I'm getting better at is like okay if you're doing let's just say you're doing 20 shoots in a year right out of that 20 not every single one of them is going to be received perfectly Mm -hmm. and I think because I was so tied personally to my work like it was who I was then if anything went wrong or if there's one bit of feedback where they weren't stoked with or they wanted something changed, I would take it to heart really hardcore and it would ruin me. There's been two projects in particular where it happened pretty hard. One was this year. Um, I had a situation with a contract that was working for me that really let me down and reflected really badly on me and 
obviously I've got to take the heat, but it really crushed me because the the response from the client, it wasn't good and, and not should have it been because it wasn't a good outcome. Um, and it was just a really tricky situation. I mean, we obviously we tied it back and over-serviced and got it done because that's who I am. I'll always fight like to make sure people are happy with what we're making, especially if they're spending good money. Um, you know, I can hand on heart say I work pretty damn hard for the people that are willing to work with me. So we, we got it all done in the end and everyone was, was happy. But um, at that point, there was a point where it was really how we got the first round of feedback and it wasn't positive. Like, she's we got a lot of work to do to get this to where they want it. So I then, like, the contractor let him go respectfully. I was like, he's just not going to be able to hit what we need. So I took the time on myself. I sat there, pulled some big, big nights. I'm very fragile. I'm very tired. Then, boom, computer just shits itself for a sec and I lose that work. And that happened probably this year and, so I don't know, maybe seven, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe only six months ago. Yeah. And I did have a moment where, like, no joke, I collapsed on the ground. Onto, like, I just, I got up from my chair. I just, like, literally, like, was, like, like, on one foot, one knee, just on the ground, just, like, in complete shock. Like, okay, right. I went back to my computer, tried to get it to work, tried to recover it all. No dice. All gone. I was like, okay. Oh. I was like, and there was definitely a moment there where I was like, do I want to do this? Like there's a lot of, there's been, there's, to, to be honest, bro, there's been probably a few moments where I've definitely been like, this is so hard. Like what I'm doing is so, so hard and no one will ever and nor will I ever expect anyone to understand how hard it is what I'm trying to do and like my mission and what where I'm trying to be and where I've come from and the effort. I'm like I'll never, ever expect anyone to understand but – it's so it's been hard and it's and it's it's been wonderful, but there's been a lot of moments where like something like that will happen and you know and and or or you know there's been other you know I did have one client thing happen last year where the client was just actually really nasty and I had to just push back and be like do you know what with all due respect like I don't deserve to be treated like this at all like this is terrible so there's been a couple of moments where I've just been like. Whoa, like this is hard, you know, running a business, yeah. being in those trenches when things aren't going right, you're super, super sleep deprived, you barely, you got no time to do any washing, any cleaning, anything, you know, you're just fucking absolutely grinding to get jobs done when things go wrong. I definitely have had some moments where I've been like, this is bloody hard. So, I mean, I've definitely changed how I work. Like I've definitely moved, like I don't do any more post, like I'm done. <laughs> I hand it off. There's people that can do that better than me. It's also just not worth my energy. But in saying that though, I don't think I've had a time where I have – I've always gone, this is really hard and I don't want to be doing this right now. But I, it, I can't think, dude, to be honest, of a thought where I've had of like doing something else. And I think that's just because like if I'm going to be honest – does feel like it's all I've got yeah. a little bit, which might not be the best thing, but I do feel like I'm like, it's just who I, bro. It's all I've known since I was 14 years old. It's all I've known. That's so, a good thing in a way, I think. So it's kind of like for me, it's like, yeah, this sucks and this is hard like, and this is so hard and I don't want to be here right now, but, I, but I've got it. 
Mm. Like, it'll be okay. I'm just going to get through this next little bit. It's definitely, yeah. I don't really know. It's just a how bit do you How do you keep at it? Like, what? Yeah. Like, what got you over that that point where you were on your knee and, and foot? Yeah. And you go back and you try to recover that. Like, oh. and yeah. whether you can remember that specific moment is at all where you, you know, obviously the days keep going regardless. Time's going to keep ticking. But what did you do? What is your mentality? What do you, what do you say to yourself? Because, yeah, sure. clearly you do love it. And in a way, you saying there, I think, it's, I think it's admirable. It's almost like you've burnt the boats. This is all I know. This is what I will be great at. Mm. I mean, in that moment, I think one thing I've learned is I'm a pretty sensitive guy. I'm pretty... Uh, would like to say in tap with his feminine and masculine. Like I definitely think there is a time and place when you need to cry. I don't hold back from it. Mm. I'm really lucky that I was brought up in a household where I never felt like I had to hold it back. So first thing I do in that situation if I need to and if I feel it, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, is I'll just let it go. If I feel like I'm going to cry, just fucking let it go. Like you need to cry. Mm. People that hold their tears back, I'm telling you, (laughs) stop doing it. It's stupid. It's a physiological response to you feeling trauma. Do it. It's meant to happen and you feel a lot better for it. You might feel very tired, but, man, I'm all all for a good cry. So if something like that happened, which it did, and I'm incredibly overwhelmed, I'll just take my time. I mean, look, my initial response was pure anger, like – I could have put my fist through the floor. Like yep. I was I was raging in anger, but I just, yeah. The masculine it, comes first and then the feminine. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. So I was definitely very angry, took a moment, had a cry, went and got some food and she was just like, oh, look, there's just no other option. What am I going to do? I work for myself, I run a business, it's all on me. I think that's the other thing as well, like because it's all on me. Like I'm not in a team. I've got contractors that help me with stuff, but yeah. it's all on me. So I don't really have an option. So I had to have to get it done. But I think the thing that helps me like in the really tough times is like letting the emotions process and pass, like like cry, do what you need to, just take a step back. Like in that moment, it's very like maybe like, all right, I'm going to fix it now. I'm just going to fix it now. But... I've learnt now with time, just take just take 60 minutes. It's only an hour. Go get some food. Take yourself out of the same room as your computer. Process it. You know, that's what I would have done. I would have had a cry. I would have gone, gone and got some food. And I would have come back, sat down and, and cracked on, which wouldn't have felt enjoyable, if I'm going to be honest. But it doesn't always. It's the only it's way you've got to get gonna yourself. You've got to get those ways out of your hole. So mm. process your emotions, guys. And girls, helps a lot. Love it, man. Yeah. You mentioned before content and not being a content creator, for lack of a better term, filmmaker, I becoming a podcaster, conversationalist, someone that you've posted a little bit on your story of late has been Rich Roll and his Mm. podcast, which I – have listened to over the past few years and I know he's been going for a while now. I think he's on, you know, episode six, 700 odd, possibly even more. Um, but I would love to know for you, who do you look to as inspiration? Where do you get energy online? Obviously, Rich Roll, you mentioned Greg Fraser. You had a very cool serendipitous meeting with him. That was a, a story you shared with me, I think within a few days of it happening. Mm around New Year's this year when I bounced yeah. around to your place. But, yeah, where do you draw that 
from who are some key influences? For sure. I think I've got different people in different areas of life, hey. Um, I've got some inspirations that I had when I was really young, um, which I can touch on. I mean, in a, a bit of a weird way, but I the, one of the first movies I watched was A Knight's Tale um, with uh, Heath Ledger in it. Yep. When he was younger and I was like obsessed with that movie. It was one of the first movies I watched. I'd take the DVD cover out and I'd just photocopy it and stick it everywhere. You look a bit like him actually now that I'm <laughs> you mentioned you. that. It's funny because I do get that. I, I do that get a bit. I'll take that because really? he's a rooster and, <laughs> and I actually admire him a lot. More out, Even outside of his acting, he was quite yeah. interesting actually when you really dive into anything you can find online or in documentaries on him he was a fascinating guy and okay. I was kind of obsessed with that movie and then as I've gotten older like he's always just been a bit of an inspiration I think I really enjoyed his artistry his photography was incredible if you ever get a chance to look at some of his photography it's like actually outstanding you know he's the type of guy who could shoot on film without using a light meter and like just dialing in the settings like bang like he owned a music production company where they make music videos for all types of artists around the world. He was in, he was much more than just the acting that everyone saw. So he was always a bit of like this backbone of an artist that I was just like, you're just an artist. Like he's just pure. He's Australian. I could relate to him. And he also had this bit of a manic vibe to him, which I resonate with. Yeah. Like just like a bit manic, always on doing things up at 3am, you know, and I resonate with that a lot. I think when I watched one of the documentaries on him and his friends are talking about the way he acts, I was like, I am seeing a lot of similar vibes here. I just found, I was like, ah, oh, you know, obviously the way that he went very sad. Um, but yeah, for sure he's from an artistic lens. I just think he was an all round. I think in that Australian sense too, gives me something to hang on to a little bit. I like that. Obviously, from a more of an industry standpoint, um, Greg Fraser is fantastic. Rich Roll, different people, different things. I guess your question is where do I draw them from? I just, I guess there's just all types of areas of life that I look at what I like and I just find the people that I resonate with. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say like I've got any like ultra north stars. Like um, I definitely look up to everyone from my dad to Rich Roll to different people I meet along the road to mates. Um, but it's just, I just kind of draw like little bits, like what do I like from them? You know, what do I don't, you know? Yeah. You can have um, inspirations and guides in anything, you know. There's dudes out there that I like, oh, I've just recently become obsessed with David Beckham's, you know, in his 20s, his styling. Like, how good. It was outrageous. I was going like, to mention that before the, the doco, oh, how good. Oh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. What was your critique? Be honest. Um, I loved it. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think, mean, I've actually only seen the yeah. first one of three. I could be being harsh, yeah. but I think for like some of David Beckham's caliber, I do think this like, and this is no, oh, I've got to be careful here. Um, <laughs> we can edit it out if you want, yeah. or we can come back and clip this when you're making even better stuff in 20 yeah. years, 10 years. Look, time. I, I think there was definitely more room for the visual storytelling to be a little bit stronger. There was a couple of things in the interviews that I liked when they had those moments where the people being interviewed were looking straight down Punched the lens. Punched in, yeah, that I was really, cool. really like that was a bit different. But I think some of the run and gun stuff, I was like, I don't know. I just I just thought, it, I don't know. Thought it could, I thought there were a few things that could be done. I thought the story was good. I really liked the interviewing. I thought uh, I thought it felt pretty honest. I also liked that there were a lot of things in there they spoke about that weren't perfect. Like they were talking about things that they weren't good at or they stuffed up at or they were being selfish and I was like, I like that. 
It's very, yeah. very authentic, very raw. We'll never know because we don't really know them, but it felt authentic. Yeah. You know, it felt pretty good. So I enjoy that. But look, yeah, take I take inspiration from all types of people. See, I like that you've got that critique on that though. And I think that speaks to who you are as a filmmaker and you've got that eye and you don't just sit here and go, yeah, I like that David Beck. Like you brought it up. Yeah. But – it like was wicked. I've, I've seen the yeah, but they, but you've seen where it could be better and how you might do it differently, which I think is sure. important. For sure, for sure. I think, Vital. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a critic's easy is the only thing I'd say though. Like it's easy for me to sit there and create when you do get there to doing it. Sure, it's a whole other beast. So I also like will preface like if I do critique anything or any work. That like I also understand that when you get there on the day, like it's a whole other monster to also be thinking, you know, like sure. I think one thing that I like is I've got a good eye. Like I, I've got a good eye for what looks good. Some it's like my eyes, like it's like bridging. It's like bridging your eye and your and your technical ability. It's like getting your technical ability enough to get it to what your eye wants. And yeah. I'm like sometimes there. And like, and sometimes I'm still not. Do there's you know a, what I mean? Yeah, there's a guy, Ira Glass. Have you heard of him? He's got this no. almost like an essay called The Gap. Yeah, The Gap. I've, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. Yeah, so he's narrated yeah, yeah. that and it's like you have – you can see what looks good, great work, yeah. but your ability to execute on that yeah. is hours away, hundreds, thousands, whatever yeah. it may be. So It can definitely close though because I'm definitely totally. getting more consistent yeah. with what I'm putting out and what I'm happy with. Um. But yeah. It's cool, man. Tangents. I love the tangents. This is why we're here. This has been a fun chat, man. Cool. I feel like, I mean, we've had many chats off of camera <laughs> recording. I'm sure we'll have many more. Sure. But I appreciate all that you've shared. I know, and I wanted to touch on briefly, you've got that sort of sh- very short doco that you put out with Run South Yarra, which yeah. was around the Melbourne Marathon. I don't know if you are willing to share anything that you've got that you're working on, whether it's in any form, you mentioned something that's going on next year. You don't necessarily have to talk details, but I love that piece that you put out and we chatted on the phone yesterday. yesterday, It it feels like it's all a blur at the moment. I was in Queensland, you were doing whatever you're doing. It's just like, oh, we're, we're pulling this together. But, you know, you said to me that you basically were yeah run and gun in that sense i think that was the weekend as well that you you shot 20 hours in the space of 25 yeah, am i right in saying that yeah that was that day yeah so you're clearly high pressure but you put out something that i think is epic and the you know response to that has been you know the same what do you feel is you know that next sort of piece for you and even if you want to say beyond, what are you looking to build? And I know we have spoken about, you know, wanting to go to London and then on to the US, but anything that you'd like to maybe yeah, mention? For sure. I mean, there's all types of things really to round out the year. Um, there's a few personal projects that I've got unfolding with the Crawl Run South Yarra. Shout out to Run South Yarra. Bias to say it's the best run club in Melbourne. Um, but it's a wonderful group of people. So if you're up for a 6am Saturday lapse of the tan, come down. It's a good time. Um, so I've got a few projects unfolding with them and I'm really enjoying being a part of that community. It's been really good for me um, this year. And 
as a part of that community, I want to, I'm bringing my skill set to it. So there's people there doing other things. There's Cromorn Osteo. There's the boys that run it. There's a few other people doing other things. I think it's my duty if I'm to be a proper member of that community to bring my skill set to it and give back. It's also an area of the industry that I really enjoy and it gives me a risk-free place to experiment my creativity and my passion for running and filmmaking kind of colliding. So I've got a few things coming up with them. In a couple of weeks, I go to New Zealand and we'll shoot something there. I won't really speak on the details there, but yeah, we'll be filming uh, a piece over in New Zealand, which I'm excited for. I've never been before, so I'm very, very excited for that. Um, a few other projects coming up at the end of the year with some other brands as well. But then, yes, into next year, the big play um, before London is, is yeah, a, I guess all I'll really say at the moment is it's a feature a feature length or a ser- or episode series kind of length documentary, maybe similar time to something like Beckham yep. um, in a space that I'm incredibly passionate about with an amazing team in the States. So, yeah, we I won't speak too much about it yet because we haven't announced anything and we're just sure. going through funding and everything at the moment. But Stay tuned for that, hey? Stay tuned for that. That's That's the... Big next step and and it, you know, of create, creating something that's beyond sixty minutes. Like uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm pumped for it. I'm very excited. So that's the next. That's that's really next. Love it, brother. It just occurred to me as well. One thing that we've spoken a little bit about that I wanted to touch on was seventy five hard, oh, yes. which links back to yeah, what I mentioned that. about that one thousand days. So the podcast that I listened to from Andy Frisella was one where he just talks about how 1,000 days, like what what was your last 1,000 days? I've listened to this like probably 100 times. It's quite short, 12, 15 minutes, just him going hard on the camera. For anyone who's listened to any of his podcasts, you know he can get quite fired up on the mic. Mm-hmm. But 75 Hard was something that I think has helped me enormously in my life. I know that you did it for a period this year. I don't know if you wanted to share anything that's maybe unlocked or changed for you through giving that a crack. Yeah, I oh, dude, for sure. I will preface that I didn't make it all the way to the end. I got a terrible flu, you know, sweats at night, changing the sheets. Like it was awful. So I was Tough like, to do a double workout. Oh, man, I was literally like trying to do sit-ups in my bedroom or sweating profusely. I was like, do you know what? This is ridiculous. Mm. Like I'm cooked. Yeah. So I cut it there, but I did do – I probably would have got to like a fifth day 50 – I need to actually go back and count it. But it was 50-something days of the same rules. Um, it was fantastic. I felt pretty damn good. Definitely probably felt the best and it's carried on for sure. So the things that's instilled in me from it is, you know, without doing, you know, doing some type of, without doing exercise in the day feels strange. Mm. Like it's such an, it's such a habit now. Um, the other things, obviously like diet, just seeing my body response to cutting out, like the diet that I chose was um, no processed food, like nothing in a packet, like just trying to get as much from its source as possible. So obviously that's hard, especially with how expensive things are these days. You know, if I could shop at all the places I'd want, my, you know, weekly shopping bill would be up for like $500 probably. But, (laughs) you know, just lots of meat, fruit, simple carbs, simple stuff. 
you know, as least processed things as possible, you know, just things that come out of its natural form. Love it. And to see the reaction in my body, like at first for sure I was getting cravings at night for ages. Um, you know, uh, as anyone knows me, I love my chocolate. But like I've fully like – I have had one or two cubes of chocolate in probably like – yeah, like probably like the last 80-something days because I went and had some chocolate and I was like, okay, it's good, but it's not – <laughs> I ended up finishing a punnet of blueberries because that's just what my body's used to now. That's what it likes. Nice. So I was like, that's crazy that your brain can like change its like relationship with things. So I'm not saying you, I'm not cutting out all fun things altogether now. Like I'll still, you know, I'm eating a little more flexible. If I want to have some pizza, I'll have some pizza. But I did find just my general health and mood. And I think for my ADHD, I've definitely struggled with my ADHD and, and anxiety over, you know, over my whole life. So finally or to me finding a, not a cure but a, a an anchor for the way that my brain works was 75 hard was that for me because yeah my mental health and where I'm at now haven't really been at this much peace in my life ever like we were just chatting before I've had a pretty crazy year but in the last few weeks I've even had a few more crazy things you know I had my car stolen lost seven grand of gear and you know a day after is what it is poor person you know, they must have it so much worse than me. That's just how good I'm at, where I'm at, where a few years yeah. ago I would have been rattled from that still. Right. Would have, it, the rubber band wouldn't have snapped back. My mental health wasn't as good. And I think 75 hard just like got me into this mindset. You know, when you're getting the best amount of sleep you can, when you're exercising, when you're eating all the right stuff, and when you – I think the other thing is no drinking. Like I can confidently say here that if someone said, if you, don't, if you couldn't have another drink for the rest of your life – I'd be like, no worries. Like I really, I've had maybe a couple drinks in the last, I probably had three drinks in the last, like since coming off that 75 hard and it's okay. It's not enough. Like I'd only have one one drink though because Mm. you'll never catch me out having more than two drinks. It's just not for me. I don't like it. It's just not for me. So I think, you know, bringing it all back, a 75 hard for me, like I would say, Uh, not cured my anxiety, but it's like my pill, you know. I'll be very honest, in the past when I was younger, I was on some anti-anxiety medication and the decision I've had to kind of come to is like, I'm either going to have to go down a route of medicating this wild manic brain I've got or I need to find a natural way to do it. And the natural formula is good sleep, exercise, good food, every single day, non-negotiable. If I do that, I'm good. So 75 hard was, yeah, like ridiculous ridiculously good for me the reading was good too i've let the reading go i need to get back back on the reading the reading was good though it's good to hear man it's good to hear about you what about you i mean yeah structure into a day and holding yourself accountable because yeah no one else i did it i started it a year before so on my 29th birthday is when i started it so a year before i turned 30 and it was that decade of like oh i'm going into my 30s what the fuck do i have to show for being 30 and that might sound really grim to some people but you know we've had a we've had a challenging few years with lockdowns in melbourne and, and all of those things and this was a couple of years ago now when i first started it and i since went on and did like live hard which he talks about in his podcast that i can link and all of that but yeah that's what it did for me it was really just like okay you can go 75 days doing all these things why can't you do you know yeah 80 or 90% of it in every other day. And similar to you, like I haven't, I haven't had any alcohol since that's now been 
two years, over two years sober. Uh, but there's, yeah, lots of other areas where it's just like, okay, now, yeah, thinking with that idea of a thousand days and really just trying to get the most juice for the squeeze in all areas of my life. Um, yeah. 75 hard helps you do that. Yeah. If you just want to do 75 days of being your absolute best, feeling your best, operating the best, getting the most done, making the most money. I don't know. For me at least, I was just like, that is... You're on. That's a formula. I'll go away at the end of the year. I'm doing some travel if anyone's around. New York, London, then going to India to switch off from the Western world and see it for what it is. Then I'm going to come back and I need a lock in to get ready for this London, the London spectacular. (laughs) um, Get the merch happening. Get get the merch going. (laughs) Yeah, that actually that'd be really funny. Um, <laughs> Fund your trip, mate. Yeah, Drop some fucking D's. Yeah, I know. But um, I, you know, I'll probably do. I'll probably do a similar kind of thing to seventy five hard again from the start of the year. Um, I mean, I've kind of still doing it. I'm just not doing the second workout a day. Yeah. And I'm eating a little bit, a little bit. Maybe having a little bit more bread. <laughs> you know? How fucking dare you? How dare I? Um, Love yeah, it, man. Awesome. It's been a fun chat. I always like to end these conversations with a similar question, which was really the thing that piqued my curiosity in wanting to start my own podcast more than five years ago, listening to Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, actually hadn't heard of Rich Roll at the time, but those bigger podcasts with their bigger, you know, celebrity sports people guests would ask this question. And I was wondering, would my dad have that same answer if he was asked that? Would my neighbor would my mate Matt, even if you're chasing those goals, have that vision? But what would you answer? And the the question was, was what advice would you give to your younger self? Now, are you 25? 25. 25. So you're on the younger end of the, the life spectrum, but you can more than happily answer. I think I'd like to pose it to you both ways. So what advice would you give to your younger self, perhaps that 14-year-old kid who, or even younger, that kid that was getting the, you know, you know, tease, tease in, in school, but even maybe the teenage Matt who was picking up the camera for the first time. So you can answer that in two ways. And then the second part of that question, what advice would you give or what message would you like to send to your, say, 75-year-old self if you could project 50 years into the future or clip this? can maybe be part of your your documentary one day, the story that tells your story. Wow, this is cool. So I can say the first part in two ways. Yeah. I know I've thrown like three questions out. No, no, I've no. broken all the rules there. No, 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 this is good. This go is ahead. Good. So, okay, so I've got to an answer. All right. Um, so to my younger self, um, I would have said two things. You're enough. The other thing would have been it's already happened. Time hasn't caught up yet. Yes. To my older self, I'm going to say two things. This is 75-year-old Matt. 75-year-old Matt. Mad hair. Looks great. Second thing, well done, you did it. That's probably what I'd say. Pat on the back. Love it, brother. Thanks, bro. What's that the haircut? Fun. What's the haircut gonna look like? Same as this, Same? bro, but great. I was gonna say silver. The silver, silver locks, fox. dude. The silver locks, probably. Love Fringe. It, Keep it all. Looking forward to rocking it with you. Hopefully, 
Keep the strong head of hair. Oh, bro. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else that you'd like to share, bro, no. that I maybe haven't prompted with a question before I let you go? Nah, look, I think um, thank you to you, bro. Thanks for everything you do. It's a good platform. Um, and plenty of hope out there for people. Keep going, keep doing what you're doing. These conversations are cool. You know, these grassroots podcasts are important. It doesn't have to be the Jay Shetty's rich roles. You know, it doesn't have to be that. You're very much a part of that community. So just keep doing your thing, bro. It's mad. Keep creating that content, hey? <laughs> Love it, brother. Thanks, Thank you bro. so much. Cheers. And there it is, another episode of The Hope Initiative. Thank you again to Matt for joining me for this conversation. It was a long time coming and I'm really stoked we were able to have it. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, as I mentioned at the top, I would love for you to share it with someone who you think may need some hope in their life, maybe someone who needs to step up and take the initiative in their life, whatever the case. Thank you so much. And as always, keep creating your life and all the very best.